Hello and welcome to the Sabbath School Study Hour. We want to welcome you to the program for this week's lesson, lesson number 10. And before we start, uh, let's ask the Lord to be with us, shall we? Dear Lord, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be able to study another lesson to draw closer to you. We ask and pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts and minds and that you would speak to us and that you would show us the things of the past that we might learn from past mistakes and we would follow and not make those same mistakes. Guide and direct me at this time is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a special offer for you that I'd like to share with you, and this is the book, The Surrender of Self. If you'd like to get this book, it's free for you. If you wouldn't want to call one 888 3966 and you ask for the offer 153 153 in the US you can also text SH087 to the number 40544 but if you happen to be outside the United States or Canada you could go to our website which is study.aftv.org forward slash SH07 sorry 087. So we're very excited right now to be able to present to you this topic that we have and the topic that we're going to look at is lessons from the past. There are many things that we can learn from the lessons from the past and as we look at this right now we want to open up and to be able to understand Sabbath afternoon's lesson. Now there are many times when you go to the doctor and the doctor will say to you different things. You've got a barrage of forms that you have to fill out. And with many of these forms, they will ask you, is there heart disease in your family? Perhaps is there cancer? Does anybody, uh, is anybody a diabetic? Or anything that's related to your hereditary or your genes. And they want to know this information for a specific reason because sometimes the things that happen to your parents may actually come upon you. And these are things that the medical profession is trying to help you to avoid to stay healthy. And one of the things that we need to look at is where we have been in the past. And when we look at our footsteps, we want to be able to see where have we walked in our past life. Now, as we look at this, one of the things we understand Elder Taylor Bunch writes the following in the book, The Exodus in Type and Antitype, and he says, one of the greatest parallels consisting of types and antitypes is found in what we call the Exodus and Advent movements of modern or ancient and modern Israel. We find that the Lord delivered ancient Israel from the bondage of Egypt and led them through the wilderness into the earthly Canaan or the promised land. The Exodus from Egypt, and the experiences of Israel were typical of the gathering of modern Israel out of the darkness of modern Egypt and spiritual Babylon to lead them into the heavenly Canaan. This is what's so exciting. 
Let's look at these last words here. These are the two greatest religious movements of all history. Both arose in fulfillment of prophecy and accomplished their work in harmony with a divine purpose and move forward under the leadership of God of heaven. We find that this whole idea of lessons from the past is to direct us and to open our eyes to see what was the medical history of our ancient brothers and sisters, the Israelites, the ones who went before us, and what is it for us? As we look at this particular day's lesson, the focus is on Psalms, as is our quarterly on Psalms as well. So this particular day, we look at Psalms 78. We want to look specifically at verse 3 and 4 here. David writes and he says, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. This is important to us because of the generations to come, the course of tradition is indicated. It's a sacred trust for each generation. Deuteronomy tells us that as parents, we need to teach our children when we rise up in the morning, when we walk, when we sit down, when we lie down. We have to teach them these things. The reason we are to teach them God's way is so that the past sins do not transgress to the current generation. And this is a very important reason for us when we have heard and we've known because then we have to also look at this and say, well, our fathers told us these things. And so we can pass it on to the next generation. Verse four says, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works, which he has done. God has purposed that his law shall be taught to us from generation to generation and become in us a living power in our lives and not only ours, but hopefully we can learn from what happened also with the Israelites. The lesson quarterly brings out, as we have been adopted into the family of historic people of God through Christ, the historic heritage of ancient people of Israel is indeed the account of our spiritual ancestry. Therefore, we can and should learn from their past which is ours as well. One of the things that we find in life sketches, it says, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. This is so important for us because we have to be able to look back at those footsteps, the footprints in the snow, where our ancestors have been, where they made the mistakes, and where their downfalls and their pitfalls were. We have to learn from that so that we don't fall back into those same sins and transgress the same way they did. When we open up for Sunday's lesson, Sunday's title is The Lord's Unstoppable Faithfulness. We find that this particular Psalms of Asaph are the 12 Psalms, which are numbered from Psalms 49 and then from Psalms 72 to Psalms 82 in the Septuagint. In the surveys, 
It surveys the history of Israel from Egypt down to the establishment of the kingdom of David. And we find in the lesson, it says that the psalmist uses history as a parable, which means that the people should deeply ponder the psalm's message and search for the meaning for themselves. This is something that we all have to face and we all have to be able to understand and do. We can't just accept the minister's explanations of scriptures unless we also take the notes and investigate for ourselves. But very often I find that when I'm preaching or when other people are preaching, very few are taking notes. They just listen and we know that audibly, if we just listen, we will forget most of it. But if we actually write down what is written, we can actually study these things to confirm, number one, that the preacher is actually preaching the truth as it's found in God's Word. So this is why it's important in the lesson, it stresses that we need to search for the meaning of these things for ourselves. In Psalm 78, in verse 5, we're brought to another point. And it says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. So that means from each successive generation, this information should be passed from you to your children, from your children to their children. Joel chapter one, verse three says the same thing. You should teach it to your children and they to their children and them to their children. In verse six, it says that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may rise and declare them to their children. The same thing is said. So the reason these things are brought out is once again, so that transgression does not fall to the next generation. Because as we'll see in this particular lesson, sins do transgress from one generation to the next generation as well. In verse seven, we find the following, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers. What type of fathers were they? Well, we find these adjectives in here, a stubborn, and a rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its hearts aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. This brings about a very uh, harsh feeling from God where God was angry with this generation. Let's take a look at this a little further. When we look at Deuteronomy chapter one, we find that, and I said to you, God says to them, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites. Do you remember when Israel was leaving Egypt that God brought them through the Red Sea? And then once they passed through the Red Sea, verse 21 says, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. That means take it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. So these words were given to the children of Israel and it was a warning to them, look, I'm giving you this land, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. The reason is that this is set aside for you. God has placed this into your hands and he says, go take it, go possess it, go move right in. But for some reason or another, they did not. 
as you will see here, and every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land before us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and of the cities into which we shall come. They were very fearful. They didn't want to actually follow what God had commanded them. God had said, go, I'm giving you the land. But they said, well, <laughs> we're not sure that this is what we want to do because we don't know this land. We should really go check it out. So as a result of that, we find that Patriarchs and Prophets tells us 11 days after leaving Mount Horeb, the Hebrew host encamped at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, which was not far from the borders of the Promised Land. Here it was proposed by, not by God, but by the people that spies be set up to, sent up to survey the country. Well, this matter was presented before the Lord by Moses and permission was granted with the direction that one of the rulers of each tribe should be selected for this purpose. The men were chosen as had been directed and Moses bade them go see the country and what it was, its situation and its natural advantages and the people that dwell therein, whether they're strong or weak, few or many. Also, since you're going to go and do this survey, then observe the nature of the soil and its productivity and to bring of the fruit of the land. Well, that was the game plan, but Numbers chapter 13 tells us what happened. They went there. Now they came back with the report. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, <laughs> that would be a but, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. They're, the Amalekites, they dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell along the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. They were just griping at everything they could because they, they were fearful. They were scared. They forgot how to trust in God. They didn't even understand what it meant to have faith in God through all of this. As a result of this, what do we find? In the next verse, all of a sudden, these spies, these 10 spies were giving a bad report. All of a sudden, Caleb and Joshua burst forth between them and Caleb says the following. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people who dwell whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. As a result of that, this was not a very good situation. 
this was conveyed, the Lord heard them, the Lord heard the complaining and everything as a result of that. They did not understand God. They had lost sight of everything through their years of bondage in Egypt. And as a result, well, God spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? Notice, there are sometimes some of us that we complain against God. We don't understand God, we don't have patience, and we complain against God. And God says here, I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, Moses, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. What will he do? The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephnon and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. Well, we find that this is the result of unfaithfulness. This is the result of unbelief. But notice there's a stipulation here. Those of you who are 20 years old and above, where did that come from? Well, we find in Numbers chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, that there was a census taken. And this census was to number the men who are able to go to war. They had to be at least 20 years old to be able to go to war. And we find that the number came out to be 603,550 men. So when you think about it, there's about 600,000 men on one hand. On the other hand, you would have roughly of the same age, 600,000 women. Now, let's say conservatively, they had about three children each. That would make it 1.8 million children. When you add the 1.8 million children to the 1.2 couples, that would be three million that were out there. So as a result of that, God says, you're not going to enter into the land. But notice what it says in verse 31. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Well, that is an idea of what it's like when we disobey God, when we don't follow his commands and we don't follow along with what he's saying. Now, we can go to the next day's lesson, which is Monday, and we're going to look a little bit more and we'll bring this back, remembering the history and the praise of God. Remembering the history and the praise of God. When you look at a coin these days, every coin that you look at has two sides. You have a head, as we said, or tails. When we flip a coin, you, have, you ask people, you choose, heads or tails. Coins always have two sides, and so it is with us. We have two choices. We can choose positive, we can choose negative. Some people will say, well, the glass is half full. Others will say it's half empty. Well, Psalms 105 is a chapter that talks about giving thanks. And this steers to us, and it steers us to look at things a little different from the past history. It's a retelling of Israel's greatest patriarchs. 
And this also shows God leading them the entire way and their patient endurance through the challenges that they face every day. A particular Psalms is an open invitation for us to follow in these patriarchs' footsteps, encouraging us to also, us, have faith, to wait patiently on the Lord and to, for Him to bring us in through these very trying times that we're at. Now there's a story that was told here of a young man in 1978. He was a young university seminary student. His name was Henry Smith. He was struggling to find work and coming to terms with a disease of a degenerative eye condition that would eventually leave him legally blind. Despite these hardships, Henry found hope in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, and he penned the following words, give thanks. And one of the most beloved songs of our time that's come out of the praise songs is, is the song, Give Thanks. And Henry was the one that actually wrote this. And now he says, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for him as a result. You see, this is what Psalms 105 is about. Psalms 105 is actually a national hymn of Israel. This hymn illustrates God's dealing with Israel from the times of Abraham and his descendants all the way down to the conquest of Canaan with emphasis on the covenant relationship between God and Israel. This is taken from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3. We also find here that in the lesson, the lesson brings out the following. The psalmist underscores the continuity between the patriarchs and the subsequent generations of God's people, stressing that His judgments are in all the earth. God's judgments are everywhere. So when we look at God's judgments, where do we find these judgments? Well, let's go to the second commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, and we find that it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. God is saying, look, don't make any carved image. There are some religions out there that worship carved images. There's a lot of them out there. And they find them from all places, above, below, in the waters. The instructions from God in His law say, don't worship them. But there's a reason for that. Because if you worship them, this is what's said in the next half of this verse. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Why is He a jealous God? You go back to commandment one. Commandment number one says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He is the one and only God. But this is why he says, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This, these are very strong words right here. To those who hate me. Why would a generation want or choose to hate God? Could it be that they have defaulted to hating God because they know what the truth is 
and they don't want to follow the truth. And as a result of not following truth, well, then you become an enemy of God. And then those hate God. But we find what's interesting, God was angry with them to the third and fourth generation. So that means he was angry with the first generation, the second generation, the third generation, and the fourth generation. But somewhere in here, we don't show the fifth generation. Why is that? Could it be that God is showing mercy to thousands, including the next generation, to those who love me and keep my commandments? Could it be that the next generation, the fifth generation, obeys God? And as a result of obeying God, the transgression does not fall upon them either. Now, when we look at this beautiful picture here of these five generations of this one family, we find that the Psalms also is a call to faithfulness in every generation of believers that we find today. We look at Tuesday. Tuesday's lesson is very specific for us because it's remembering history and repentance. And there's a reason that we are to remember our history and go back. Because, as the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 14, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Praise the Lord that He does that, because if God did not forgive us, we would be in such wretchedness because of our sins. And our, not only our spiritual condition, but our physical condition would also be very much handicapped as a result of this. But the Lord is willing to forgive iniquity and transgression, but notice, but He by no means clears the guilty. But one of the quotations we find in the book Prophets and Kings 416, Prophets and Kings 416 tells us there is a limit beyond which the judgments of Jehovah can no longer be delayed. The desolation of Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah is a solemn warning to the modern Israelites that the counsels and admonitions given them through chosen instrumentalities cannot be disregarded with impunity. This top part is really what I want you to focus on. There is a limit beyond which the judgments of Jehovah can no longer be delayed. God is just waiting for His character to be in His people, to be reflected in His people, and then Jesus will come. But Jesus cannot come until that time period. He's waiting for us. And I've always remembered there is supposed to be an army of young people rightly trained. Where is this army? If you recall, in Gideon's army, there were 32,000. But some of them were not willing to fight. They didn't want to fight. And so the Lord said to Gideon, tell them to go home. If they don't want to be here, tell them to go home. And all of a sudden, you had 22,000 that vacated. You went from 32,000 to 10,000. And then even at that point, the Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. We've got to hone them down a little bit take them to the water brook and have them drink. And if they bend down and they lap the water and they're looking cautiously, keep them. But if they stick their whole face in that water, they're not paying attention, send them home. And what do we find? There's only 300. There's only 300 left. You see, God doesn't work by the masses. He can work by few. He's looking for a few 
righteous people to finish the work in the last days. We're going through the shaking right now. The shaking is going to do its job because that will do the sifting between the wheat and the tares. Notice that all these sins continue to grow and grow and grow. This brings us to what the lesson points out in Psalms 106. It stresses that the heinous sins of the father that culminated in the generation who was carried to exile recounted for God's people these historical incidences and the lessons that the people should have learned from them. Now, there's a key word. They should have learned from them. Now, but they didn't because it transgresses to the next generation. Look at what we find in Spirit of Prophecy. As a rule, children inherit the disposition and tendencies of their parents and imitate their example so that the sins of the parents are practiced by the children from generation to generation. I took this picture in Africa and I couldn't, I, I just had to include this because it just shows you like mother, like the baby, following the same thing. Why is that? Because thus the vileness and the irreverence of Ham were, in, were reproduced in his posterity, bringing a curse upon them for many generations. So they didn't learn. They continued to transgress. We look at Wednesday. Wednesday talks about the parable of the Lord's vine. And what do we learn from this? As we look at Psalms 80, which is the psalm for this particular day's lesson, the cry is given, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, and you shall lead Joseph like a flock. You who dwell between the cherub and shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God, Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. They're crying out for mercy. They want help from God. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You see, Psalms 80 was written at a time of a great national distress. It was a prayer for restoration of God's favor to his people. When the psalmist likened to a once carefully tended plant, a, a vine that was transplanted from Egypt, but now as a result of that, it was exposed to ruin. And this also reminds me of another verse that's in the Bible that we find in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You've probably heard this before, but it strikes very much to this lesson. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. For us today, many times people will pray and I've had people say to me, Pastor, you know, sometimes when I pray, I, don't, I feel as though God is not listening to me. God's not hearing me. It's because we regard iniquity in our hearts. We don't see sin as the way God sees sins. And if we could look at it in the same light that he looks at it, we would cease from doing sin. But the problem is we don't. And that vineyard, that graft of that grape, 
is destroyed as a result. The lesson brings out the following point. Israel is portrayed as a vineyard that God uprooted from Egypt and the land of oppression and transported to the promised land of abundance. The image of a vineyard conveys God's election of Israel and His providential care. However, in Psalms 80, God's vineyard is under His wrath. The prophets announced the vineyard's destruction as a sign of God's judgment because the vine had turned bad. In Isaiah chapter 5, we find the following. He dug, uh, he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but as a result of that, it actually brought forth wild grapes. So the purpose of the transplant was to bring forth good, as in the fig tree parable that we know in the Bible, but the grapes represent the fruitage of character, a reflection of divine character Israel was to exhibit before the world. But the problem was Israel was very much like the world and it was lacking in a distinction. In verse 4, what more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, why did it bring forth wild grapes? The question is often asked, the most effective means of bringing home a truth. Isaiah makes it clear by searching the question that the Lord did everything that He could possibly do for Israel, everything possible. He provided them with every facility, the development of character that would resemble His own, and they had only themselves to blame for their failure. They fall, they fell short. The same thing will happen to us if we don't change our ways we too will fall short of the glory of God. Moving on, in Psalms 80, the, the call for the psalmist says, Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you have made strong yourself. It was burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. And an appeal is made. The appeal says, let your hand be upon the man of your right hand and upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Restore, O Lord, of, o Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. The call upon your name. That is, we want to worship you, Lord. And the psalmist here is kind of speaking for the nation itself. If the church would keep its vows, how soon might God's work actually be done in this world today if we actually followed that command? The lesson brings out that the psalmist's refrain evokes Aaron's promise of God's perpetual blessing of his people and highlights the hope that God's grace will triumph over the cause of the people's misery. 
This is also the refrain that we find in in Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Speak to to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This this suggests that every kind of graciousness and tender consideration has been given to not only the Israelites, but the same compassion has been given to us, to sinful men of the grace of God. We reach to Thursday. Thursday, we talk about Psalms 135, and it's all about praise. Number one, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. This is an appeal, obviously, to praise the Lord because of what He has done and because what He is to us and to His people. Verse 4 tells us, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto Himself and Israel for His peculiar treasure. Why a peculiar treasure? Because peculiar treasure is his personal treasure, his personal property. The lesson brings out the choosing of Israel was based on the Lord's sovereign will. And thus, Israel has no ground to feel superior over other peoples. And we are told that of all the tribes, of all the different nations in Israel, the Lord chose, around that time period, the Lord chose Israel, not because they were the biggest, not because they were the strongest, but they were the ones that were the most inclined to obeying and following the Lord. We find that the recounting of God's great deeds on behalf of His people culminates in the promise that God will judge His people and have compassion on them as well. Psalms 135 verse 13 says, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations, for the Lord will judge His people and He will have compassion for His servants. For the Lord will judge His people and have compassions also. This means that He vindicates His people and the Lord will defend them before His enemies as well. The psalmist demonstrates that God is to be praised as both creator and savior of His people. This is wonderfully conveyed in the fourth commandment of the dialogue, Decalogue, because God's power in creation and history is unparalleled in the world. God's people should always rely on Him and worship Him alone. As our Creator and as our Redeemer, He alone should be worshiped, nobody else, no other item, no carved image, no idol, nothing man-made, because anyone who does so, that would be idolatry. Notice what it says here in the commandment. You shall not make for yourself the carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. None of that at all, because the Lord is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I can tell you this, you and I don't want to be people that hate the Lord. Let's close with a few thoughts here from Friday's lesson. In Friday's lesson, let me read to you what it says. Through the successive generations since the fall, the tendency has been continually downward. 
Disease has been transmitted from parents to children, generation after generation. Even infants in the cradle suffer from affliction because of the sins of the parents. But we find that through disease transmitted from their parents and an erroneous education in youth, they have contracted wrong habits which injure the constitution of the brain, causing the moral organs to become diseased and making it impossible for them to think rationally and to have any understanding on spiritual points. As a rule, children inherit the tendencies of their parents and they imitate that. You find that when you were growing, when I was growing up, you copy your parents. You find that your children do the same thing. They're like little me's, mini me's, trying to copy you in everything that you do because this is what they do. This is what they know. They want to emulate you. The best thing we can do as modern day Adventists is to emulate Christ and follow him in all that we do and all that we say because we find here that the character of Christ is to be our character. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our hearts. Here is our only safety. Nothing can separate a living Christian from God. And this is what we should be praying for and hoping for in the last days. Our offer once again is the surrender of self. If you'd like to receive this book, you can call the number 1-866-788-3966 and you ask for the offer 153. Or you can also text the number SH087 to the number 40544. But if you're outside the United States and Canada, you can go to our website, study.aftv.org forward slash SH087. Let's pray as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you for showing us our past history. Help us to learn from these mistakes. Help us to not be transgressors of your law, but to walk in the ways of your footsteps. Be with your people. Help us. We're told that if we need anything, you are more willing to send any, every angel out of heaven to help us. So Lord, in these last days, go before us in our decision. In everything that we do, may we praise you and give glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen and be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want and most important, to share it with others.